This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. You know, before I read this, let me just say, this is not my normal sermon. This is a bit more of an opportunity to share some, some testimony. But Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 4 is where we began last week, where we'll stay in this series. It says, trust in the Lord always. Let me say that again. I said, trust in the Lord always. Oh, how many of you know that he's never late? We used to say he's right on time. Come on. Because he's an on-time God. Yeah, don't worry. I sang last Sunday night. I'm not going to sing for y'all today, all right? But the Lord is faithful always, okay? For the Lord God is the rock of ages, the everlasting rock, the rock that is higher than we are. I am thankful. Let me, let me just read this passage one more time, and I want you to have a moment of gratitude for this passage. Trust in the Lord always. For the Lord God is the rock of ages, cleft for us. Amen? God is so good. But why do we need a rock of ages? Well, I shared with you last week why this was so important. There was a time when there was a storm, and a man was traveling through the storm in the 1700s. The storm suddenly came, and it began to rage. And as it began to rage, he needed refuge from the storm. So he found a large rock, and there he climbed between the parts of that rock, and he hid himself as close as he could, and he held on as tightly as he could. And if you were to go to that rock today, you would still find a, a small plaque that says, The Rock of Ages. Because it was there in that hole of that rock that he held on so tightly, and he took a moment to pin the words, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let me just stop again. Did I tell you why I have come to preach to you today? I want to talk to you about what? Gratitude. Let me say it again. I want to talk to you about what? Did I? Did you just hear what I just told you? That there's a rock of ages that no matter what storm comes to your life, there is a safe hiding place in which you may climb and you may hold on. Come the shadows and the floods. You can hold to the rock of ages. Matthew chapter 8, we began to understand because how many of you know that not all storms can you see coming? We've been talking this year about waves so far and the waves that, that you have to live through, the waves that seem to catch your breath, the waves that seem to knock you down, the waves that, that find us in our lives. And when those waves come, sometimes we don't know that they're about to hit us. Have you ever seen one of those moments in one of those movies to where there's a gigantic tidal wave coming and people are simply unaware? It's about to take them out. It's about to knock them down. It's about to run them over. And they are simply unaware. And all of a sudden, boom, it crashes. Well, if you were to go out west, the difference is that you can see a storm in the distance. But in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you're surrounded by mountains. And sometimes just on the other side of the next mountain, a storm is brewing. 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, then Jesus got into the boat, started across the lake with his disciples. May I stop for a moment and tell you, it was Jesus' idea they were in the boat. But suddenly, what? I said, suddenly, I said, what? Oh, y'all are excited already. A fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. See, the waves came breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, shouting, Lord, save us. Lord, why, how can you not look like you're even paying attention? Don't you see that we're going under here? Lord, don't you know we're about to drown? Don't you know that the wave's about to take us out? Lord, don't you know where we are? And Jesus' response to them was not comforting, but it was this. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And the disciples were amazed. See, God wants to show you who he is in the middle of your storm. They said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? I shared with you about Charles Spurgeon, one of the great, most renowned preachers of, of of all time, how that he would deal with wave after wave of depression. I'll try to explain that to you more toward the end of this message. But he said that he was thankful for each one because those waves of depression would cause him, it would throw him against the rock. And he would say, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to be grateful for the thing in my life that reminds me I am not the rock, that he is the rock. And I think that's most of our problem. We look at other things as the rock on which we can depend. We look at our own ability. We look at our own bank accounts. We look at our, our own job securities. We look at our own plans of life. And we don't understand that that is not solid, that it is nothing but shifting sand. There's a rock that stands above it all. I concluded the message, and now we're preparing for this message, but I concluded the message last week with this statement, and I did not intentionally explain it to you in depth, but here's where we, where we finished. We said, when you are rowing against it, what you're rowing against is not the enemy, it is the way. Let me say it again. What you're rowing against is not the enemy, it is the way. You see, the thing is, most of us spend much of our life trying to change things that cannot be changed. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is impossible to change the past. Let me say it again. It is impossible to go back and change the past. If you were able to go back and change the past, you would be the wealthiest person of all time. But what would happen if we stopped trying to change the past or outrun the past or rewrite our past and instead we began to leverage it to change ourselves. You see, that's when we stop seeing every battle as an enemy that has come to destroy us and we start realizing that instead of fighting the facts that we have to embrace them, not as that which will define us, but as that which will move us forward. I wish that life was full of easy moments that mark us the most, but life is not full of easy moments that mark us the most. The moment that has marked me the most that I think of in a moment of gratitude is was not an easy moment in my life. I've shared this story. Many of you have heard that. I apologize when you pastor someone this, this long. You will hear their stories before and again. But I will never forget this night as long as I have the ability to remember. 
When your child is diagnosed with a disease and, and, and the disease can be dealt with better when they're able to communicate with you, but when they're diagnosed at two years of age, they cannot tell you when they're sick. They cannot tell you when they're high blood sugars or low blood sugars. They cannot tell you when they're about to seize. They cannot ask you because at, at two years old, they don't have that ability to, to, to speak to you that manner. And it had been about two years and we were in the stage to where uh, we were shaken, but we were not uh, unexpected to be awoken with our child in a seizure due to her, her liver having to kick in because of what her body was demanding. There was only moments left to keep her alive. It was a, it was a tragic time in, in our lives. It was a hard moment in our lives. And, and suddenly a man by, uh, well, I won't call his name, but a man came to town and began on the other side of town in Gainesville, Georgia, to hold revival meetings. And they said that people were, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing, that, that all kind of amazing things were happening. And, and so everybody said, are you going to take your daughter over? there. And I said, yes, I'll take my daughter over there. And so I went and sure enough, he preached way too long. I probably deserve that title sometimes myself. They sang way too long. And then it was like they released the hounds. The moment they said altar call, the lines formed, boom. And we got up as quickly as we could. And we were some, probably, I was probably as far as I am from, from here to the back door from the edge of the stage. The line went up up that edge of that stage and then went up to about there. And so I knew that I was quite a ways from, and I said, I will stand here all night if necessary. I want to see God heal my child. And as they began to play in the backdrop, this man ministered to each one individually. And as he prayed for them individually, uh, he would wait until they got healed or he wouldn't move on to the next. And, and I thought, well, this is going to take a while. But if God's healing them, thank God God's healing them. Then I began to notice something, that people with headaches would go up and get prayed for. And then they would come back with their neck ache. And then after they prayed for their headache and their neck ache, they would come back with their back ache. Does that make sense? And I thought if you would get close to me, I would give you something to ache. And the more I watched these same selfish people jumping in line and creating hours more worth of time, I became very upset because I was in desperate need and I was standing here for what turned from moments to minutes and minutes turned into half hours and half hours turned into hours. And I held my daughter and I was tired, I was exhausted, and I was irate. And as I sat there or stood there feeling that moment, seething, no longer worshiping, Somehow, as I focused on this edge of the stage and the line to there to my extreme right, something caused a moment to almost illuminate to me. As I looked across the way, I saw a woman half my size, maybe a third of my size, standing there holding her daughter, who was just as beautiful as my daughter, and holding her daughter. And as she held her in her arms, she, her daughter was three times the size of my daughter. So this woman's a third of my size. Her daughter is three times the size of my daughter. And as she held her, in her arms, worship was pouring out of this woman as she had stood for just as long as I had stood. And then I looked down, and her beautiful little girl, we came to know this family well, but her beautiful little girl's eyes were rolled up in her head. Her arms were twisted so that they would never be used. Her feet would never carry her body. Her tongue hung from her mouth. And as I looked, and saw that moment, 
and saw the worship pour out of her soul toward a God in heaven, her standing as long as I, I could no longer see. I found myself crying in repentance because I had judged and I was angry and I was mad at the world and nowhere within me was any gratitude to be found. And suddenly I looked at my beautiful baby in my arms and I said, Oh God, forgive me, oh God. Forgive me for this moment. And gratitude was born in my soul. And when I struggle the most being thankful, I go back to the moment of my pain that threw me against the rock of ages that said, you always have a reason to be thankful. Can I tell you, we have much to be thankful for. I would share another story with you today. And I know these are seemingly story days, but listen to the importance of this story. But this is, this is what you need today. I would share with you, and if you've been in a previous service, do not speak the name, but, but I would share with you a name uh, by the name of a man born in 18, 1862. His name was John Merrick. Without calling the, the name he is known by out, does anybody recognize the name John Merrick? I have one, two, three. Three hands out of all of you in this building, out of a good crowd, I have three people who say they know who John Merrick was. You see, John Merrick was born in a rough time in history, in a place that was struggling with trying to figure out how to take care of people in need, and there was great poverty and great distress, and during this, this time he was born, and as he was born, not one finger upon his hands worked. On his right arm was twice the size of his left arm. His legs were bent and could barely cause him to be able to walk. His head was twice the size of a normal man's waist, or at least the size of a normal man's waist. He had huge tumors sagging from his body. He was not a prisoner only to his infirmities. He was a prisoner to the environment in which he was held. Many of you are beginning to understand who I'm speaking of. I can see the recognition on your face. They held him in what would be called in that day a freak show. And he was the greatest of all time. People had become wealthy off of people paying for the, just a moment to see his naked body before them as they would, would, would literally recall in, in, in terror at seeing his flesh. As all came to hear and all came to see the elephant man before them. One day a doctor from the London hospital stumbled into that show unintentionally being there. He was horrified at the things he was seeing, but quickly in a scientific way became quite interested. And finally he saw John standing before him. And as he saw John Merrick standing before him, he had compassion on him. And John would later describe that this was one of the first people in his entire life who'd ever shown him a kind word. And he took his card and stuck it into that mangled hand and had him hold on to that for just a moment. And he said, if I can ever help you. Please come see me. And three days later, they would find John Merrick, not in the, the show that he'd been held, but they would find him huddled in tears and sobbing in the corner of a train station as he was so afraid of the terror he had caused, but he was trying to get across town to the London hospital. So, And all he had was clutching was a card that had that doctor's name in that hospital. 
They took him to the hospital. They did not warn the doctors. They did not warn the staff. They did not warn the people. And they learned that they were forced to do so because the orderlies would shriek and run away. The, the, the nurses would drop his food in the floor. They were so terrified when they would experience him. Over time, they would begin to come and become more comfortable with John's presence. And finally, that kind doctor would say, I'm going to do an experiment today. He could not yet understand the language of this, this man who was so deformed his mouth did not work normally. But he said, I'm going to do a special experiment. So he asked a very brave young lady. He said, would you go and would you do two simple things for me? Would you smile at him and would you take his hand and shake it? That's all I'm asking of you. She steadied herself. She walked into the room, and with as much love as she could muster, she smiled at John Merrick. She reached out. He recalled at first, but then reached his, his, his mangled hand toward her, and she took that mangled hand and shook it gently, smiled, and walked from the room. They were expecting that watching, anticipating what John would do, they would never have anticipated what he did. The moment she walked about five steps away, John collapsed to the floor and began to sob uncontrollably. He cried for what that would be described they thought would never end. Guttural sounds came out of this man as he sobbed deeply. As, he, as they would later describe this, they said at that moment when someone was kind enough to smile in his direction and take his hand, he went from being a thing and became a man. They were able to decipher his speech after that moment. And after they deciphered his speech, they said, John, why did you cry? So he said, she was the first to ever smile at me, the, uh, a woman. The first woman to ever smile my direction in my whole life. And the first to ever dare take my hand. He said, it did something inside of me. It changed who I was. Can I just, just ruin the story for a moment and tell you? I'm trying to tell you, if life has weighed you down and life sends you crying and huddled in the corners there is a thing called gratitude that you can thank God because you're not alone and God is with you and it will change who you are John would only live a few more years but after they learned to decipher his speech they discovered this he was almost savant level intelligence he would read his favorite pastime was to consume voraciously the scriptures they would take him to plays, they would take him to churches, they would take him to parks, they would of course have him shrouded as he entered, and they learned that he was absolutely brilliant, but the greatest thing they found of all that he took the most comfort was in the countryside. As they would take him to the countryside, it was almost as if what man could not do, the animals could. And as he would chase and play with the animals, guard each and every flower, they learned to hear him whistle. As he ran, I am happy every hour of the day. When the doctor gave his eulogy as he died at 27 years of age, he said these words. He said, this is a man who was ennobled by his troubles. This is a man who never had an unkind word and never criticized another. This was a man 
listen to what I'm about to say, who was never heard to complain. Now I have to think about that for a moment. If we have lived our lives in such a manner as we have, and we have found plenty of reasons to be ungrateful, am I preaching truth? To half the room I am. Let me ask you again. We don't usually have to look very far to be ungrateful. Can I get an amen? Amen. And it rarely is said of us, we are happy every hour of every day. What excuses do we have? Now, well, before you get angry with that statement, let me say this. I don't know what you faced. But you also need to understand everyone has faced something. Everyone goes through something. When we kiss the wave, what we are doing is confessing what is wrong. We're saying this is the problem. But we're also finding ourselves confessing what is right, that our God is able to deliver us from the problem. But pastor, you don't understand what I'm facing. No, you don't understand the God that I've come to preach to you. Pastor Don, you don't know what I'm going through. Let me just say it this way. Though you be going through the darks of the enemy and the enemy himself may fight you. Though it may seem that angels are fighting you. Though it may seem that you are at a mountaintop or it may seem that you're in a valley low. It may seem that you have ascended to heaven itself or you may have descended into the pit of despair of hell itself. He has not forsaken you. He will not abandon you. And come what may, when all the rocks that you built your life on have become sinking sand, There is a rock that is higher than we are who is able. He will stand. He even beat death, hell, and the grave for us. He is faithful. He is good. And he deserves all the glory, all the praise. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now here's what you need to understand. We can't pick and choose which days we're grateful for. Each and every day. As we've learned this year, things can change in a moment. Each and every day is a gift from God. And let us learn to be grateful. For sake of time, I will not read this, but I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes 3 that tells us there's all different times under heaven. Let me close by bringing you back to John for just a moment. When they found out about his great intelligence, they they began to expose him to as many things as they could. And John developed a particular interest in a hymn writer, Isaac Watts. Does anybody know the, the most famous hymn of Isaac Watts? I guarantee almost everyone here has sung it or hummed it at one point. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Wow. This was John Merrick's favorite. Not only was he a hymn writer, he was a poet. And Merrick memorized and made one of Isaac Watts' poems, the statement of his life, his life statement. And this is how it reads. 
Tis true my form is something odd, but blaming me is blaming God. Could I create myself anew, I would not fail in pleasing you. Can I just translate for just a brief moment? He said, I wouldn't change a thing if it took one ounce of glory from the king. I wouldn't go back and change a thing. Now listen to me. There's a lot of things about my life I wish could change. There's a lot of days I wish I could rewrite, but that is impossible. We cannot change what happened yesterday. Nothing we do can fix it. Though I cannot change what happened yesterday, I can determine what happens today. And what the enemy thought, see the enemy thought if he could snuff out your light, he would rob the glory of the king. But when the enemy, my goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit when I'm about to say, when the enemy thought he had won, and he thought he had snuffed your light from the world, and he thought that even death itself could stop the testimony of the righteous. He did not know that the testimony of the righteous goes on because they go on. And come what may, we have this understanding. I cannot change yesterday, but I will not allow it to define me any longer. I am defined by this one truth that God himself calls me his masterpiece. And I am his, and I would change nothing. I think about what made Spurgeon say, kiss the wave. Imagine Spurgeon, he was 18 years old. Stand with me if you would, we're closing. 18 years old, he was pastoring a small church in a rural swamp. No, nothing around. People would come from county around after county after county, county to hear this boy preach in a small swamp church. Suddenly one day in walked the pastoral search committee of the largest church on the face of the earth, the Metropolitan Temple of London. They hired him almost on the spot put him in that pulpit and he began to preach and the temple was filled because now the crowd was greater the, 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 the proximity was closer the people would come and they would hear him preach and one day as he preached the crowd was in a roar but then the roar turned to screams as the balcony caught fire many lives were lost and tens and tens were injured do you know what the newspaper did? They blamed Spurgeon. It was his fault the balcony caught fire. Brand new pastor, brand new at the church. It was his fault the room was too full. It was his fault. It was his fault. It was his. And, and, and listen, you know what Spurgeon did? He accepted responsibility. 
So at night, when he would hear the screams from that fire for the rest of his ministry, he would roll into the floor and weep and sob. And those moments of depression would overcome him. And when he finally righted himself, he said, I kiss the wave causes me to remember I'm not in charge. He is. And I can't control everything, but He does. And He's my God. And He is good. And His faithfulness endures forever. I want you to bow your heads with me in this place. Can I tell you, you can't change half of what you think you can change. I'll just be real vulnerable with you. My wife says it this way. She said, I married the most confident man on the face of the earth. And now I have you. I said, what do you mean? She said, where's your confidence anymore? I said, it's in Jesus. Because I can't do it. He can. He can do all things. My job is to simply trust and obey. With everybody praying, nobody looking around, I'm speaking specifically to everyone here, everyone listening, everyone watching. Listen, the enemy is trying to tell you that he is going to snuff out the light. But wherever there is worship, the light will always burn. The presence of God will always be found. The glory of the... My goodness, I feel this. The glory of the King will always be known. Because He's looking for a people who would repent of every word that wasn't pleasing to Him. How many of you would join with me and say, I'm ready to repent today? Can I see your hands? Hands all over this place. I'm going to pray for all of us in just a moment. I said, you notice I said me and us. Because <laughs> I'm ready for this sermon to end because he's been dealing with me. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I need a fresh dose of gratitude to fill my world. I'm promising you it will change everything. That's you. Let me see your hand before I pray. I'm about to pray in seconds. All right. All right. If you're online, please tell Pastor Trey that that's you. We're going to pray with you too. Father God, right now in the name of my goodness, let's lift your hands before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for a moment. Forgive us, oh God, and we give thanks. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to say that. We give thanks. Help me. Lord, we give thanks for a God who never leaves us nor never forsakes us. We give thanks for a God who washes away all of our iniquities. We give thanks for a God who heals all of our struggles and infirmities. We give thanks to a God. Come on now, help me. We give thanks to a God who has been faithful every hour of every day. We give thanks. I need some help. We give 
thanks in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Gratitude is birthing inside of us for the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now come on, give that kind of God a praise. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.